very excited for this soccer game. Accidentally scheduled our only leaders meeting of the semester at the same time as the soccer game. She's a faux pas for their number one fan. I'm sorry, I rescheduled it. I rescheduled it. Uh, let us open in prayer, and then we'll get into our message for tonight. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together as a community, this time where we can laugh together, where we can catch up, God, and where we can just grow closer to you. And I just pray throughout this message that um, my words would be few and your words would be many. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we are closing the Proverbs series, which I'm kind of bummed about because this has been one of my favorite series ever. Um, so in four years, I'm looking forward to doing it again when most of you guys <laughs> will no longer be here to witness the repeats. Um, so for the last time, to recap the book, it was written uh, for the young adults of Israel, the people who were launching into a adult life who were so full of potential and who were at the crossroads of life where they could either venture and live life wisely or they could venture into folly. And throughout this series, we've had an opportunity to pull up a chair and to listen to some of the wisdom from some of the greatest sages who ever lived. And in this book, they share general rule of thumbs, uh, rules of thumb about life, yeah, how life generally works. Sometimes when I'm tired, my subject verb agreement, first thing to go. I'm not tired right now, so let's just say it's not a book of promises. Um, but it's just a book of wisdom to help us navigate how life generally works and how to navigate those things that are wise and those things that are folly. So our topic tonight is a topic where the mode of operation in our culture is to veer towards folly. In fact, not only does our culture continually practice folly in this area, but it goes through great lengths um, to continually try to get you to move there as well. This topic is extremely countercultural to what the Bible says. And if you choose the path of folly over the path of wisdom, it will cause you tremendous stress. If you choose to get married, it will probably sabotage your marriage. It'll eat your lunch, as my friend Pete Bulette says. And that is the topic of money. Tonight we're going to talk about money. Last time I spoke, we talked about alcohol. This week, we're going to talk about money, so just hitting all the fun topics this semester. But we want to talk about how we can be wise with our money and how we can handle money in a way that will glorify God and that will cause us to flourish and live wisely. So here's the tricky thing about money, is if we walk in folly with money, here's what's going to happen to us tomorrow. Absolutely nothing. When it comes to money, if you choose folly, you can violate every financial principle in the book. You can throw caution to the wind and just live very unwisely. And you can probably still wake up tomorrow and have a very good day. It isn't like if you were to eat some insanely spicy food, then you have a stomach ache later in the night and you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. It's not like you buy a pair of shoes that you couldn't afford on credit and then you put them on and then your shoes swells up. Most of the time, the ramifications of spending unwisely don't always manifest themselves immediately. And if you remember the very beginning of our series in week one, we read about Lady Wisdom and she was calling out to the people in the streets. And she says this, she was reminding the people 
that all of life is connected, that what you do today will impact your future. And wisdom says that if you enter into folly now, it may be a long time, but eventually that foolishness will catch up with you. And so here's the thing. If you remember nothing else from the Proverbs series this semester, remember this, that your destination is not determined by your intentions, but your destination is determined by the little choices you make every day that lead you in a direction where you will ultimately end up at a destination. Let me repeat that. Your destination is not determined by your intentions, but it's determined by the little choices that you make day by day that set you on a trajectory that lead you to a destination. There have been a lot of people who have never expected to end up in financial ruin. Their intention was to stay out of that, but the decisions that they made day by day led them to that end. And they'll say, like, but I never intended to get here. To which wisdom would say, it doesn't matter what you intended. It's what you decide that matters. So I've been at Georgetown for seven years now, and six of those years have been either a life group leader for Chi Alpha or on staff. I've had a lot of one-on-ones with people. And I can't remember one person who's ever come to me and said, hey, Bonnie, I need to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately. I have some sin that I need to confess. And then we get together and they say, so something I need to come clean on. I am greedy. Never had anybody ask me to help them deal with their sin of greed. And I've had many people sit down and talk about their struggle with lust. And we'll talk about it, we'll start to strategize, they'll talk about how they have accountability partners who can help them with these hard questions about their internet history and their actions. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if that same accountability partner could ask them questions about their finances. I wonder if those same accountability partners who ask those really tough questions about the temptations that they're dealing with would feel comfortable asking them about their spending habits or their giving habits or their saving habits or asking how are they glorifying God with their finances. Because I think it's really interesting. I think we live in a culture that is much more comfortable talking about sex than they are talking about money. But Jesus says this. He says this in Luke 12, be on guard against every kind of greed. He says that the propensity of your heart and the propensity of my heart is towards greed, and we have to be on guard. We have to put fences up. We have to get accountability partners, and we have to do anything we can to stay away from this greed that our hearts are prone to. So here's what I ask tonight. As we approach this message, I think we should approach it with this assumption, that we should all assume that there is a place that we need to grow as we seek to honor God with money and as we seek to change our attitudes on how we view money, because Jesus says that we have to be on guard. So tonight we're going to look at a few principles from the book of Proverbs that will allow us to navigate wisely how people who are wise spend their money. 
And there's one ultimate goal that the book of Proverbs addresses every time that they talk about money, which is a lot. And that's the ultimate goal is that we want to honor God with the things that we do involving our finances. And there are two principles that we're going to talk about tonight. So if you want to turn to Proverbs 12 in your Bibles, or it's going to be up on the screen. The first principle is simple. Those who honor God with their finances live within their means. Very radical concept right there. In the Proverbs, we see two reasons why people don't live within their means. And it says that if you don't, you will not flourish or honor, honor God. And the first proverb we'll look at deals with the first reason for why those who honor God with their finances live within their means. So Proverbs 12.9 says, Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant or an employee than to pretend to be someone and have no food. And I love this proverb. In other words, it's better to look like you don't have much yet have a bit of wealth, than to look rich and have an empty cupboard. And as I read this verse, I remember this commercial. Um, I was able to find it on YouTube. It's about eight or nine years old. It's very cheesy, so be warned by that. But I just uh, want to show it to you. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Come to Lending. Alrighty, so that's LendingTree.com. For some of us, though, this is the type of home that we grew up in. And I'm not trying to throw any type of home under the proverbial bus, but if we grew up in a family like this, and I think we've seen firsthand the folly in it all. And the Proverbs, they say this. They say that some people will try to use materialism and they'll try to use money to build their identity. And this commercial in this proverb gets right to the heart of why many people live outside of their means, and that's they use materialism as a way to build their identity and to try to get other people's esteem. They want to live in a house that other people um, will respect. They want to drive a car that has a certain status to it. They wear clothes with various animals on them because that conveys a certain status. And they are ultimately trying to present themselves as somebody even though they are broke. And oftentimes, they project an image that they cannot sustain. And we see this a lot at Georgetown. And I think it's really heartbreaking. And this may be normal, but normal in this situation is folly. But on the other hand, the sages speak of a wise person who doesn't try to impress people by where they live. They don't care what people think of the kind of car they drive or the kind of clothes that they wear because their identity is in a very, very, very different place. And they pronounced their neighbors and their friends the winner of this competition a long time ago. They have given up in this race of trying to outdo one another and they have given up trying to create their identity from material things 
And instead, they have their identity somewhere else. They have their identity in God. And the Bible says, the sages say that they are wise. So here's the first question I have for you. Do you use materialism to build an identity and an image? And if you do, Proverbs says that it will cost you a lot, that it will probably, you probably not likely live within your means. But if you don't, then you will be well on your way to living wise financially. In the next proverb, it talks about another reason why people don't live within their means. So Proverbs 21.17 says, He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. So I think the second reason we don't live within our means is because we love pleasure. So wine and oil in this day, they were symbols of the good life. They were symbols of the life of ease, of luxury, of opulence. And this person that the proverb is referring to has never learned how to tell themselves no. Their life is driven by the pursuit of pleasure. And if they want something, they're going to get it, even if they can't afford it. If they want to go somewhere, they'll go, even if it means going into debt. And the sage says that they will never flourish living this way because they have never learned to say no to themselves. And another related proverb is chapter 21, verse 20. It says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all he has. So why does the wise end up with stores of food and oil? The secret is that he spends less than he makes. And through meticulously saving and through careful self-discipline in his consumption choices, he is able to flourish. He lives on a budget. And on the other hand, we have the fool who, instead of saving and accumulating his wealth, consumes it as fast as he gets it. And our days might be, how can I upgrade my phone? How can I upgrade my car? How can I go out to eat? And their bank account, instead of looking like a reservoir that's being saved, looks more like an airport terminal where things just keep going in and out. Thanks, guys. It wasn't a joke, but I appreciate it. So another question. Have you ever learned to say no to yourself or to your own pleasure? Have you learned self-discipline? Because Paul says in the book of Galatians that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Have you learned how to exercise self-control in your pursuit of pleasure? Have you learned to say, I can't buy that. I can't go out to eat. I can't go to the concert. I don't need that. Have you ever said that? Because if you haven't, if you haven't learned that skill of saying no to the things that you want, then you're likely to end up like the average American who doesn't save and instead is deep in credit card debt. And finally, there's a proverb that gives us a dire picture of the consequences of not living within our means. So in chapter 22, verse 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. So there are two kinds of debt. Let me qualify this before I go on. I know that 
For a lot of you here, the only way that you could come to a school like Georgetown is to take out student loans. And if that's you, there's no condemnation in that. This is not the type of debt that the sages are talking about. They didn't even have school loans back then. So this is a very different thing. And I think that school loans are more of an investment that will actually help your financial situation rather than hinder it in the long haul. So I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about and what the sages are talking about here is this debt that I call lifestyle debt. It's having a standard of living that is above your income. For example, debt on credit cards from going out to eat, buying clothes, vacations, taking out new car loans, new furniture loans, leases on higher end housing, the list goes on and on. But the Bible says that this person is actually a servant to their lender. And that debt is very unwise. So for example, if you have $4,000 in credit card debt, and you pay the minimum payment every month, you will end up paying $14,000 by the time you pay that off, if you make the minimum payment. And I'm sure that there might be some people in here who have that, and this is not to condemn you, but this is to say, to motivate us that we are young and we still have an opportunity to live very wisely and live most of our lives debt-free. So the point of that is the Bible says you become a servant to your lender, and when that happens, you lose your freedom. So what does it mean to lose your freedom? Let me give you some examples. What if one of your fellow Chi Alphans in here becomes a missionary, goes overseas, starts a nonprofit, and you want to invest in the cause that they are a part of, and you want to be financially supportive of the mission, but you look at your finances and like what's his face said, you're up in, to your eyeballs in debt, and there is no way that you could responsibly give. In that moment, you have lost your freedom to be generous. Or maybe one day you'll get married and you'll have a thriving career and then find out that you and your spouse are expecting a child and you really feel deep in your heart that you would love to be a stay-at-home mom or dad. But you look at the budget and you realize that you can't stay home because you absolutely need your salary to keep up the lifestyle that you've been living and to pay off the debt that you have. In that moment, you've lost your freedom to choose. Or maybe you go to church one day and you're at the altar and that thing that we all fear happens and God asks you to leave your lucrative career in favor of something that doesn't pay a lot. And I remember something like that happening to me. Like I said, I don't think student loans are a bad thing, but for me, when I was in college, worked three jobs, had a 10 meal plan because that was the cheapest, so I usually only ate 10 meals a week. I rarely ate out. I rarely did leisure activities that cost a lot of money. And then my senior year, I lived in the least desirable room in our home so that I could pay the least amount of rent. And had I not done that, had I not lived within my means in college, had I taken out loans for those things, I don't think I would have been able to follow Jesus into campus ministry because I would have had to have served a different master. And if you live on a budget, you'll be free to answer whatever God calls you to do. You'll be free. Borrower is the servant to the lender. So I put some notes 
in the back for after service. And it's just a little sheet that talks about how to make a budget. Um, I'd really encourage you to sit down with your small group leader and talk through some of these things. And one of the things that it says um, is to give every dollar a name and make it obey. To literally say, your savings and you will obey. Your retirement. When you graduate, that is the least fun thing to do, to put lots of money into retirement that you will not need for another 45 years. But you put it in retirement and you make it obey. So your tomb's money, you will definitely obey. <laughs> but to give every dollar a name, and when we do that, this will cause us to live within our means. And just another thought that if you don't have the money to pay cash for something, then maybe that that's an indication that God doesn't want you to have it. Maybe. But if you do this now, you will flourish financially and you will be able, most importantly, to honor God with your finances. So that was the first principle that we learned from the book of Proverbs. The second is much more fun. So the second thing that somebody who is wise and fears the Lord does with their money is they live generously. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the people who honor God with their wealth, the first thing that they do is give. The first financial decision a wise person makes is to give back to God. And we see that wise people honor God by giving him their first fruits. They seek to honor God with their finances first, and they don't just spend what they want. They don't indulge in their own self-indulgences and then give God what's left over, if there's any left over. The first thing that they do is they make a commitment to give. And throughout scripture, we see that the starting point of a generous life is to give 10% of your income, a tithe. And I say starting point because the New Testament, frankly, does not teach anything about a tithe, but it teaches about generosity. And if you live a life of generosity, then you will give well beyond 10%. That's just the beginning. And I think a tithe is the starting point that trains your heart towards generosity. So when we give, a couple things happen. Here in this first proverb, we see that when we give, that we honor the Lord. So what does that mean, to honor the Lord? We honor the Lord by praising him, by worshiping him with our gifts. I think oftentimes something that I'm guilty of in Chi Alpha is we close our time of worship and then we pass around um, the offering basket most weeks. But I think doing that, we have it all wrong. Instead, what we're actually doing is concluding musical worship, and then we continue worship with our financial offering to God. And why? Because when we do that, we are saying, God, you are the source of the things that I have. And the first fruits, in this culture, when the Israelites gave their first fruits, it was a celebration. It was a signal that the crops came in again, that God's provision was there for another year. It was this miraculous, he did it again. God is providing again. And when we tithe, we recognize that everything we have is a blessing from the hand of God. 
And so we tithe in recognition that he is the source of that and that this is a gift that he's given us and this is another way that we can extend our worshiping to him. So that's something that happens when we give. So as a Chi Alpha missionary, I wish I could say Georgetown paid me. They do not. But how we get paid is we have individual supporters, and they give monthly anywhere from like $5 a month to $200 a month and everywhere in between. And every month at the end of the month, I get a list of supporters uh, who gave. And I can just look at that and just say, wow, God did it again. The same God who is faithful enough to bring me here is faithful enough to keep me here. And in some ways, if I'm honest, it's kind of hard to live like that month to month. But in other ways, it's never tempting for me to think of my paycheck as anything other than the providence of God. And that's something that's not just true for me, but regardless of the job that you have, regardless of how you get your paycheck, is something that's true for all of us. And when you believe that about the income that you have, it makes it much easier and much more joyful to give it away. And that's why we give, because we are recognizing that God is the source. And you might say, but wait, I've studied really hard. I've worked really hard. I've earned this. So where did you get your mind? Where did you get your abled body? And did you control that you were born into a situation where you could hone these skills at one of the best universities in the world? And all of those questions, they're ultimate levelers for all of us because all of our answers are no and God. And it says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that it is God who gives you the very ability to produce wealth. That God is your source. And when we recognize that, we become very generous because we understand that everything we have is from him to begin with. And the second half of that verse says, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, when God sees someone who is generous, he will bless them. And that doesn't mean that we will be rich. This isn't a prosperity gospel where if we give, that God will bless us back financially and we'll be rewarded with more wealth. But it says as we live generous lives and we honor him, we will experience his faithful provision in our lives. And I think that God sees those people who have really generous hearts, and he knows that if he blesses you, that you will in turn bless his kingdom, that you will bless his people, and that you will be a conduit of his blessings to this world. The last proverb, and then I'll wrap it up, it's chapter 11, verse 25, says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And this proverb tells us something very simple. It says that we make a living by what we earn, but we make a life by what we give. Because there is little that is more refreshing in your walk with God than the selflessness that comes with giving. The joy that we get when we bless others because of our giving. Is it not 
great joy to give to our brothers and sisters who are in need? Is it not great joy for those of you who every year anonymously donate retreat scholarships so that people can come on retreat? Is it not great joy to use our money and to use our wealth for things that bring a smile to other people and things that lighten the load for those around us? Is it not great joy when you get to support a missionary who gets to proclaim the glories of Jesus to places that have never heard it before? Or to sponsor a child to go to school and get an education when they wouldn't have otherwise have gotten one? I think this proverb is saying that you will prosper in your spiritual life and you'll experience new intimacy with God because he is using you in new ways to expand his kingdom. And you will prosper emotionally because there is a great joy in giving. And in Chi Alpha, we are always the recipients of other people's generosity. Everything that we have, every meal that we eat together, every activity that we do is because somebody else gave. And most of those people have never met you before. But they give because they believe that if Georgetown students catch this vision that Jesus has for the world, then that you guys could be the ones to change it. And one of my deep desires is that we will graduate students every year who will be profoundly generous. Because let me tell you something that I've noticed that those who are generous in college will likely be generous after college. Because generosity, it's not a circumstantial issue. It's not dependent on how much or how little money you make, but it's a condition of your heart. And if you think that when you finally get that job that allows you to make the big bucks that you'll be more generous, that's just not true. The Holy Spirit does not download a heart of generosity as you walk across the stage to get your diploma. What happens is even when you don't have much, and Jesus commended the woman who gave her two mites, when you don't have much, when you have, when you give when you have little, God transforms your heart so that when you have more, you have a spirit of giving. So my goals for you to become more generous now is not so that our offerings in Chi Alpha go up. Yes, it costs money to do the things that we do, but God has always provided. But more importantly, I'm concerned with what and with who you're going to be in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years. And it's really my hope that some of you guys will give millions of dollars into the kingdom of God. And that could happen, but it starts right now with us being willing to cultivate generous hearts. And by saying that I will honor God, I will live within my means, and I will give generously. And I want us to be a fellowship of people that is committing to be generous our entire lives. And one of the reasons why the book of Proverbs was written for an audience just like you is because there's still so much of our lives that haven't happened yet, and we have the choice. Right now, we're at the crossroads where we get to decide the types of people that we want to be. And I don't want us just to be people who tithe, but I want us to be people who live generously. And a tithe is just a way to train yourself towards generosity. Every year, 
when I do my taxes, I get really excited to see the percentage that I've given away that year. It becomes like a game for me, and I hope and it's my goal that that money or that percentage increases every year. And one of my supporters actually, he speaks to the seniors every year for their senior brunch, Brian Hill. He says it this way. He says that you gotta give until it doesn't hurt you anymore. Until that money has no power over you anymore. He says that's why he gives. Because if he doesn't, that money would become his idol. That money would become his master. And he says he's pretty wealthy right now. He says if you do not give when you're making $30,000 a year when you've just graduated, you will never give when you're making half a million dollars a year. That's not how it works. So let me encourage you, if you've never tithed before, start tithing now. 10% of whatever comes in, give it to the fellowship, give it to a missionary, invest it back into the kingdom of God. If you start tithing now, it'll set you on a trajectory. And I think most importantly, I want to close by saying this, that it's the gospel that makes us generous. Okay? This isn't the law. It's the gospel that makes us generous, and it does it in two ways. The first is that the gospel frees us from having to look towards materialism and money for our source of identity. So as a person of God, your identity is firmly rooted in Christ. So you don't have to worry about what brand of car you have, what kind of clothes you wear, what cul-de-sac you live on. If you happen to have nice things, that's great, but that's not where your identity is. And if you're free from that materialism because of your identity in Christ, know that you are a child of God and that your inheritance that you have waiting for you is greater than any amount of wealth that you could ever accumulate in this world. You are set free by the gospel. And the second is this, 2 Corinthians 8 9. Paul says that Jesus, who was rich, became poor, so that through his poverty we may become rich. And what Paul is saying here is this, that there has never been any person in the entire history of the world who is more generous than Jesus. Jesus gave it all. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that's what we celebrated this past Holy Week. We celebrated the generosity of God. We celebrated a God whose character, whose very character and nature is generous. And we are benefactors of that generosity because Jesus came and gave it all so that we might be rich so that we may have true wealth, and so that we may have true life. He paid a debt that we could never pay on our behalf and became poor so that we could experience the riches of eternal life. And as a result, when we place our faith in Christ, our lives are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it invades your life and it invades mine, and the Holy Spirit makes us look more like Jesus which causes us to be generous. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more the Holy Spirit transforms you, the more you look like the Father, who is a God of generosity, and the more you look like the God who gave it all, 
and we will become more like Jesus. And this is really good news because it's not anything that we could ever orchestrate for ourselves or on our own. We just have to seek the face of God. We just have to keep our eyes on the cross, and his spirit makes us generous. And his spirit sets us free from this rat race that's materialism and consumerism and allows us to honor him in every choice that we make. So I'm going to go to the Q&A, and then I'll close us in prayer. Yeah. Reminds me, I've been binge-watching The Office recently, and one of the things he says is, sometimes I volunteer too much. I think, I don't think that we can really, I don't think any of us here are people who give too much. I don't think, I don't know. I don't think that that's true. Um, But I think that we kind of all are responsible for the income streams that we have. We don't all have jobs that pay, but I would say regardless of how little you make, I think God was very, very smart in making a tithe in the Old Testament a percentage, because it doesn't matter if you're incredibly wealthy, it doesn't matter if you're incredibly poor, 10% is the same across the board. And so I think even if you're making a very small amount, tithing is an indication that God is the source of everything. And I've heard people say that God can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. And I think that's true. I think there is definitely a lot of times in college where I had a really hard time buying food. And tithing was just something that I never compromised on. And I never went hungry either. I think God will always provide. And I think in terms of if you don't have a job, I think there are plenty of ways to live generously, and I think there are also just income streams that you might have. I think regardless, constantly being on the lookout for ways that you can be generous is important. So how do I, if I'm pursuing a lucrative career, still honor God? Because it seems like the two can be opposites sometimes. Is that the question? Cool. I don't think the two are opposites at all. I think that the things that we need to pay attention to in our lives is where is God calling us and how can we honor him in that place that we are? And this guy I was talking about, Brian Hill, um, I probably shouldn't have used his last name, uh, but whatever. Um, he's a, uh, he does a type of law that sounds very boring, um, but is very lucrative. Ugh, I can't remember what it's called. Hmm, not important. Any type of law. But um, so he makes a lot of money and he invests that money back into kingdom causes. And I think that the reason that we're all 
destined, if you will, to do very different things in life is because God is using us for very different things. So I think you could be like a tax attorney, and you can still, and God wants you to serve him and to honor him where you are. So I don't think making a lot of money is ever a bad thing. I don't think that should ever be our goal to pursue money. But if you have a really high salary, I think that's great for you. I think, though, that your heart always needs to be positioned to how you can give and how you can be generous. And I think that that's one thing that this 10%, which, again, is just a starting point. I really think that if you truly cultivate a generous heart, that that number increases dramatically. But I think the reason why that percentage is so cool, because like I said, it's like even when you're not making a lot or if you're making a lot of money, it doesn't matter. You're able to invest more monetarily into the kingdom of God. But I don't want this message to sound like having money is a really bad thing. Because it's not. Jesus says to be on guard against greed. That's the thing that we're guarding against. How can we be against greed? And how can we have a heart of generosity? And that's not dependent on what kind of job that you do. But it's dependent on the condition of the heart and how closely you're following Jesus. And Jesus says, be on guard against every kind of greed. And I think... Martin Luther, he says it like this. He says that true conversion is of the head, the heart, and the purse. He says the heart and the wallet are always connected. And I think that we see that in the Gospels, too, that um, where our treasures are, that's where our heart is also. And so I think that we, it's not about the things that we do, but it's about recognizing that worship, true worship, isn't just the words that we say. It's not just the songs that we sing, but it's the type of lifestyle that we live. So let me close in prayer, and then we'll transition into time of worship. And like we always say in worship, you can sit, you can stand, you can pray. We'll have people um, in the back. Anybody with a red name tag would be more than happy to pray with you throughout the service. But just connect with God in this time. And if something convicted you in the message, then let that sit with you for a little bit. But let's close in prayer together, and then we'll transition to worship. Lord, we want to honor you with all of our lives. And our finances are no different, Lord. And I pray that our identity would be so established in you that we would be able to say no to materialism and no to trying to create an identity through our stuff, God. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would make us into people who are very generous and that we may model the character and nature of our generous God who became poor so that we could be rich and so that we could experience eternal life and that we could experience true wealth. In your name we pray. Amen.